From the Fleet Defender Studios, this is Kill Chain, a platform cybersecurity and technology podcast presented by Fleet Defender. I'm Marcus Q, and I'm here with Terry Reiner. Hello, everybody. And Kendall Bricko. Hey, Kendall here. Well, gang, today we're going to be talking about why low Earth orbit is the next gold rush. So exciting topic today. Want to talk about some low Earth orbit satellites, uh, different, you know, new military contracts coming out that are entering phase three. Uh, and then, you know, some threats against these low Earth orbit satellites because, you know, we are a cybersecurity podcast. So, of course, we have to talk about some of the different cybersecurity challenges facing uh, these new innovations in space. Uh, so to start, I think we start by discussing, you know, what is low Earth orbit and why is that so important to satellites to operate there? Yeah, good question. You know, there's quite a few different orbits uh, out there for satellites. You know, you've got low Earth orbit, medium Earth orbit, geostationary, uh, and then you just have like polar orbit, sun synchronized orbit, um, a lot of different types of orbits. Um, and what it basically means is it's really the path the spacecraft flies around the Earth. Mm. And so like, for example, like geostationary orbit is probably what a lot of people know because of Sirius XM, right? Like everybody knows you can get satellite radio in your car anywhere in North America. Um, that's a geostationary satellite. They, I think they've got a few and they sit right over the equator and they match the speed of the earth. So essentially it looks like they're standing still. Um, I mean, they're actually traveling very quickly through space because they have to match the rotation of the earth. 20,000 miles per hour or something like that. Oh, I think something. it's even high. Yeah, it's crazy. It yeah. just matches the rotation of the earth. So I'm not sure if you know this, but do they actually, are they under constant thrust or they've just found a point where it's essentially they're matching the gravitational pull so that they're always falling in the same spot? Uh, I think they still have to do some thrusting, you know, just to, just to like, it's called like maintaining your station or station ma maintaining. Just periodically um, turn on the thrusters. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, Newton's law says, you know, object in motion stays in motion until acted upon by an outside force. It's in space. There's no wind, there's no atmosphere. So once you get moving, you stay moving. Um, but you know, you're still close enough to the earth that you're still affected by gravity to some degree. And so you just gotta do some station keeping and just stay in orbit. Makes sense. So do you know, like, what dictates it as a low earth orbit satellite? What, what certain distance would it have to be to uh, be considered low earth orbit? Um, I don't know the exact altitude, um, but the way that the orbit actually sits is as it comes through um, on one part of its orbit, it gets really close to the earth. And then on the other side of the earth, it actually goes out pretty far. So it's more elliptical. It's not like a circle right around the earth. It's more elliptical. Okay. And the shape of the elliptical depends on, again, altitude, what orbit you're in and, and all that stuff. I'm not an orbi orbital mechanics, you know, master or anything, but oh, that's just kind on, of Terry. my basic understanding of it. And so like, um, you know, like at Apogee, you know, you've got more hang time because it's further away from the earth as it's going out. And then curving back around and coming back. But then on the other side where it's closest to the earth, it's a very short time as it just kind of whips through on its next pass. Okay. Quick question. What is Apogee? It's just a, it's just a term that they use. That's part of the orbit itself. So okay. yeah. that's like the other side where it's further from the earth and it's, you know, you've got more, um, uh, what's the word time on station? Uh, I guess you could call yeah. it. Um, so it depends on like what you're trying to do depends on what orbit you want to be in. Like, obviously, if you want to be able to look at part of the Earth 24-7, then you need to be in geosynchronous orbit. That way you're kind of hanging there over that point the whole time. Or you need to have a lot of satellites in low Earth orbit that you constantly have at least one of them over the area that you want to look at. Which is where we start to talk about constellations, right? Like right. SpaceX's, um, what is it called? Starlink constellations. 
is they're just essentially creating a belt around the earth or around an area so that they're constantly receiving or right. able to send and receive. Right. So when you're talking about like a Hughes net, like an internet through Hughes, okay, they've, or, or Sirius XM, they've got geosynchronous satellites that are, you know, hovering. So when you're talking to the satellite, you're talking to the same satellite the entire time with SpaceX and low earth orbit, they have tons and tons of satellites, right? Like, so they're, I mean, what are they up to? Like, they're supposed to have like a total of, or, or no, they're going to launch another like 46,000 over the next couple of years. 46,000. Yeah. Like it's insane how many, um, they are, uh, Starlink, uh, SpaceX became the largest, uh, or operates the largest satellite constellation out of anyone. Wow. They have more satellites up than anyone at this point. Yeah. Right now um, they have 3,580 and they're looking at doing 12,000 soon up to 42,000 satellites. Yeah, 42,000. That's, that that's so yeah. many. Do you know when they started putting them up there? It's been a while. It, yeah, it has been a little while. And uh, to give you context on the number of satellites there are, I actually had the number of currently active satellites. Yeah, there's like 4,852 active satellites orbiting Earth in 2022. So SpaceX alone... Th those are publicly disclosed satellites. Yeah, sure. sure, sure yeah, yeah, that's, sure. that's not all of them, but uh, but that's even the ones it, we know about. Even if it doubles, I mean, that's going up to 42,000 is significant. I mean, with that yeah. many satellites up there, how big are they? Like, do they vary in size or is it all pretty much standard size? No, they, there's tons of different. So, so that's why CubeSat, like if you've heard the term CubeSat, like that means something. Like it's got to be a certain size or under to be called a CubeSat. There's like microsats, CubeSats, this sats, that sats. Um, you know, you, there are satellites that were put up there by different governments around the world that are the size of multiple school buses. Like they're massive, they're huge. And then you got these tiny little things. And the cool thing about CubeSats and like Starlink, like they can launch multiple Starlink satellites from the same rocket. So like mm -hmm. you have one rocket and then in the payload of the rocket, you've basically got like a release vehicle that once it separates from the rocket, then it just starts spitting out satellites. So it's like a shotgun blast kind of? Yeah. You're, you're shotgun blasting satellites into space pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, I know uh, CubeSats. I, I actually always thought CubeSat was like a brand. I know that might sound stupid, but it so it's a dimensional based measurement is yes. a CubeSat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're pretty small. They uh, a CubeSat um, is actually ten centimeters by ten centimeters by ten centimeters. So that wow. it's small. That is very wow. That is really small. Yeah, and and you know how like in IT, um, you know, you you have like a rack, and then like if you get a server, like it'll it'll it has a certain size. Like you can call it like a one U or two U or three U yep. or whatever. Um, satellites are the same. So like a CubeSat. Um, it can be a 1U, a 2U, a 3U, or a 6U. And that's just like how many bays or how many spots it has that you can put gear into. And so, yeah, anything up to 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters is a CubeSat. Wow. And so that's where you can have, I mean, yeah, people can like buy a satellite, right? Like you can buy space on a CubeSat today that's going into orbit. I'm pretty sure that you like can do most that. companies can do that. Um, yeah, you can, you can, um, well, what I hear the most is rideshare, And that mm. is where if you have a CubeSat, um, you can sit on like a SpaceX rocket and SpaceX is like, okay, so on this rocket, we're going to launch, I'm going to make this up, but like 50 new Starlink satellites. And then we've got room for 10 other CubeSats that people can ride share. So you as a company, if you want to launch a CubeSat, you don't have to pay, a, you know, thousands and thousands or 
millions of dollars, whatever it is to launch it, you can just pay a fraction of that and ride along on the same rocket as other satellites from other companies. So is it any company that can buy their own satellite or is it only uh, specific ones? You can, I think anybody can, but um, you, in order to actually put it in orbit, you got to get it approved by Mm -hmm. obviously governments and, and, and all that, because with that many satellites, I mean, you can imagine it presents a major threat to other satellites. Like you can have satellites colliding. You can have, you know, even spacecraft like the Orion modules or uh, the Dragon modules with humans on it, the International Space Station. Um, you got to make sure you deconflict orbits or else you have collisions and collisions in space are really, really bad. So would it kind of be like flying a plane where you have certain, uh, Terry, you would know the better terminology for all of this, but like your your line of flight or whatever that would be? Is that similar to the satellites then? Yeah, like in an aircraft, if you're flying either like visual flight rules or instrument flight rules, and depending on what direction you're flying, you have different assigned altitudes. So it just naturally deconflicts traffic. And then air traffic control just does the minor tweaking from there. Um, I don't know if they have that. I, I would imagine they would. I would yeah. hope NASA's got this figured out by now. Um, just throw it up there again, and see how they, how they work uh, out. It, it's still kind of the Wild West, uh, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, you still have countries sending missiles and blowing up satellites and then causing debris. And, oh, God. You know, I mean. Yeah. And, and, you know, and the other interesting thing, too, is not just deconflicting their physical locations, but deconflicting the frequencies that they're communicating on. Because, you know, obviously you're going to have a lot of different interference problems, you know, just like we deconflict the spectrum, you know inside of our atmosphere, you got to do the same outside of the atmosphere as well. So there, there's a lot that goes into orbital planning and managing space, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So taking us back kind of to the topic of being a gold rush, right? Of kind of like a lot of companies moving towards looking to low earth orbit. I mean, obviously Starlink has found some success. Uh, and one funny thing about Starlink, I don't know if you've ever heard of Google's moonshot. I think it's called X now. Uh, but it's like their moonshot factory where they just work on like basically world changing projects is kind of their whole thing. Okay. They back in 2014 were trying to do global internet and they were actually doing it, trying to do it through weather balloons. And balloons. yeah, uh huh. Yep. And I don't think it ever took off, but their, their goal was to like bring internet to the globe uh, back in like 2014. And then with just balloons floating up everywhere. That was the last thing I'd read was, was weather balloons, but I'm sure that they started looking at satellites. There were some balloons up in the air recently. Uh, (laughs) I don't think that was Google. Those were UFOs. Oh, right. Right. uh, It was a military conspiracy. UAPs, I think is a new terminology for UFOs. Unidentified aerial phenomena. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Huh? So, sorry, but I keep taking us off topic. <laughs> Everybody's talking about the Chinese balloons. We're not going to... Wait, do we want to talk about the Chinese balloons? Another episode, another <laughs> episode. So, right now, I just looked this up. It's estimated that there are more than 10,000 firms and 5,000 investors involved in the space industry. Oh, it's huge. It's it's exploding. And, and so, like, when we think of the space industry, I think most people think of rockets, right? Like, you have Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, SpaceX... But really, that's not, I mean, there's not 10,000 firms working on propulsion and rockets. So what are some of the things that you've seen or heard of that are businesses that are kind of booming in the tech sector for space? Well, there's a couple of different areas of space. And I guess it goes back to kind of the architecture of satellites. Um, And that is, you've got what's called the bus. And don't confuse that with like a network bus, like CAN bus. Like what I mean by bus is then like, it's the bus that a bunch of people get on to go somewhere. Um, the satellite has a bus 
And that's all the equipment that the satellite needs to stay in orbit. So it's star trackers, it's thrusters, it's reaction wheels, it's um, what they call the CNDH, um, like the computing and data handler. It's um, it, it's all the different parts and pieces that just to keep the satellite where it's supposed to be pointed where it's supposed to point. And then you have the payload side and the payload can be anything, right? It can be a camera if you're taking pictures and like monitoring for hurricanes um, or other type of environmental anomalies. It could be a spy satellite. So you've got cameras to image the earth and, you know, find hidden military bases, whatever. Um, it can be radios for communication. So you've got, you know, um, satellite phones, you know, they would communicate. So your payload would be just a big communications, you know, comm radio with a lot of different channels. Um, so the, so it's those kinds of things. So you've got people making the bus. And so that's one part of the economy of space, right? Like actually providing the vehicle. And then you have people providing the payload. So they're making the cameras, the radios, the sensors, the, this, the, that, and then you have the companies that are buying both a bus and a payload, putting them together and then doing something with it. For example, like agriculture firms that are selling a service to farmers to use multi-spectrum imaging of the farm fields to identify where crops need more water, where they need less water and other characteristics of the crop all data, right? Like collecting data and selling data to the farmers. And so the space economy is more than just a company building a satellite. It's companies building satellites. It's companies building payloads, companies licensing or buying both and then selling data. Like it's, it's huge. It's huge. So do you think there's any companies that do all of it? Or do you think it's a whole bunch like you're saying that they just need to come together? One focuses on one area and another focuses on a different area. Um, it's a lot of different companies and it breaks down even further because like Lockheed Martin makes a bus, right? Well, they don't make every component on that bus. They probably make maybe one or two components or they're the integrator and they don't make any of the components. They just buy all the different components and then they own the integration and they combine and the it. maintenance and put it all together into the bus. And so it's, it's, it's astronomically large. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, that's where we talk about like United Launch Alliance, right? Because that's Boeing and Lockheed together. Mm -hmm. And so you have two massive companies who could be competitors actually even needing to work together just to launch. Like it's such an undertaking. And so we talk about like uh, data and payloads and different things going on. And I think that's where you, you kind of, I don't know, space gets lost in the wonder of it, you know, and the sense of exploration, which is the piece that I think people like the most. But the reason we're going is really economical, right, is because they're, we're going for data uh, and they're going up to get data, to use data, to do something. And I, that's where I think the economy of space really comes from is what new data are we able to harvest by looking up really high to tell something new that we can like formulate a product around? And I think that's really, and tell me if you agree or disagree, where the gold rush comes in is actually just in the data collected from these satellites in low Earth orbit. Oh, yeah. Data is everything. I mean, it, it's it's funny that we can discount, you know, the purchase price of systems if we're able to collect the data, cause that's, what's more valuable. Like I was even at a conference, uh, like, I don't even remember how long ago, like probably six, seven years ago. And, and vehicle manufacturers were talking about giving cars away to college students for free. Like just here's a car, you can have it. Um, because what they realize is they could take the data from the car, where you go, where you eat, where you shop, you know, what your driving characteristics are. They could sell that data for way more than the price of the car itself. 
Scary. Now, like why they're not doing that. I don't know if it's like a privacy thing, if they realize like nobody would consent to that or I mean, I don't know. I think, I think a lot, a of, people lot would. of people would consent I, to that. I would take a free car. Yeah, I think a lot of people would consent to that. Yeah, I mean, it's but it's like the, it's funny. Like everybody, you know, complains like the U.S. government spying on me, and then they pull out their Apple iPhone or their Google Pixel yeah, or that's something, the thing, right? right? Yeah. And then and then they get on Facebook and post their TikTok. You know, it's like okay, like you're literally just giving them the data anyway. You're probably giving them more than, more than, than, than the what they would car. have collected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, it's unbelievable how much data our apps track about us. It's it's it. Yeah. You, it's scary. So let's shift for a second here and talk about some of the threats against low earth orbit satellites. So again, we're a cybersecurity platform, cybersecurity podcast. So, uh, specifically want to kind of touch on the non kinetic threats against low earth orbit satellites. I think in the news, the last few years, you've seen a lot about some of the more kinetic threats where, you know, um, I think it was either China or Russia actually launched a missile against the satellite as a test. So you, you're seeing, more actual aggressive moves against satellites, which is pretty terrifying. Uh, but some of the lesser known, like what I'd call, I don't know, hacks against satellites, I, I was looking this up, goes back to the 90s. So like in 1998, uh, hackers took control of the US-German Rosat X-ray satellite. Uh, and they actually were able to turn its solar panels towards the sun and fried the power system. Wow. Yeah, I had never heard of that. And then in 1999... Uh, the UK Skynet satellites actually got held for ransom. So like ransomware all the way back then on a satellite. Well, and the question is, is was it ransomware in the satellite or did they get into the ground station and the attack was actually against the ground station? Without the ground station, you're not going to use your satellite. You yeah. Know, like you have to be able to communicate to it. All your systems are in the ground st- in, in the ground station. So if you can ransomware that and you can lock that down, you're not going to be talking to your satellite. It's yeah, a- I think that's exactly it. Is they they got into the ground station terminals and in one case I think they even like installed a Raspberry Pi into it or something or something similar. Uh but through that ground station they were able to manipulate the satellite in the one where they were able to turn the solar panels. So they go from ground station up to satellite. So but that's I guess the levels of vulnerability is like is your ground station secure? Is the satellite secure? Is everything secure all the way around? Right. And and that's kind of back to that attack surface, right? And so like when you look at a very, very high level, your attack surface is the satellite itself, the ground station, or any data providers or ingesters that are using data from the ground station. Now, you can also separate your ground stations. Like there are satellites and missions out there that the bus side of the satellite is controlled from one ground station, but the data from the payload goes through a different channel to a different ground station that only handles the data from the payload. So you can even split those. So your attack surface grows depending on the architecture of your satellite and how you structured your mission. So I'm assuming that a lot of the satellites are connected up there. So if they get into the ground station uh, with a cyber attack uh, and they are able to launch it to the satellite, can they affect multiple satellites up there and other ground stations? It depends on just the architecture of the satellites and the constellations. There is a really big push right now to do more connected satellites. So instead of, you know, losing time, like if you're talking to a constellation, one sends telemetry down to the ground station, they process it, and then they have to send commands to another satellite. Now they're just going to talk. And they've even talked about creating data fabrics, like actual data centers in space. So you've got, instead of having to come down to the ground to a data center, back up and all this other processing, you're just going to do everything above the clouds. (laughs) So not in the cloud, but like out of the universe, out of the, sorry, out of the atmosphere. 
That's actually really interesting. I mean, think about even the cooling issues with data centers. Like you're in space, you can just let the heat off and that that could be all right. So I got an idea for us. Let's go start a company for data centers in space. <laughs> there's already a lot of them. Okay. Yeah, there, there's already you're, a lot of people behind. looking at that. <laughs> a little yeah. behind. But you always tell me I have to not like go after my new ideas. I have yeah, to focus. Yeah, like, yeah. True, true. My turn to tell you no data centers in space. We got to focus. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting too about just the cybersecurity of satellites because um, it is becoming more and more prevalent. Like we've got a lot of news um, media stories hitting, talking about vulnerabilities in space. And uh, the Air Force actually um, released a competition called Hackasat back in 2020. So, um, you know, our other company, you know, RBI, like we actually had a team and we competed and we placed really well in the first couple of years of that. And we partnered with uh, Redwire Space on that. And, uh, but it, it's a really interesting competition because the first year, um, it was all these challenges focused around satellite technologies. And the idea is, is they're building it up each year to where eventually like their finals in Las Vegas at DEF CON are actually hacking a real satellite. So, and Hackasat, is it uh, an artificial satellite that you guys are hacking into or is it a, a real one? Well, it was one... I don't know which one they're actually using. I haven't been following it that closely, okay. but it's a real set. It's probably like a decommissioned one yeah. Um, in space that they were probably looking at. But I know they actually have like real hardware as part of the competition as well. Oh, so they were hacking one that was actually in space, not like here right in front of them that they're hacking into, but it's actually up there. Not the first year. They might be doing that at this point. I'd have wow. to go track and follow. I haven't been following yeah. it as much lately, but um, they, they might be to that point now. That'd but if awesome. you can do that with hardware on the ground... I mean, I assume that you could then do it, you know, up yeah. in space if you have the right antenna and everything. Yeah. And and it's not hard. It's oh. really not. And, and I hate when you just drop that. <laughs> Whenever you're like, you're like, oh, yeah, I, hacking I a satellite, it. not hard. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was working with a, a customer, and this is many, many years ago, and they're like, you know, what could somebody do in their garage? Against a satellite, could you actually build something in a in just your garage to actually like communicate with a satellite and what could you do with it kind of a thing? And uh, so like with, I mean, how much was it? I think I spent about two thousand dollars, and I just bought a bunch of ham radio equipment, made my own antennas, no joke, using coat hangers and PVC pipe, and uh, got a azimuth elevator uh, rotator, so like you can turn. Um, you know, 360 degrees around, but also change the elevation of the antenna. So you can like track a satellite as it goes across. And I wrote a Python script that literally pulled down what's called the TLEs or the two line elements from uh, NORAD that would just tell my Python script when the satellite's coming over the horizon and what its orbit was. And it would just track it and it would adjust the radio frequency for the Doppler effect, like everything. And I mean, and it sounds hard, but for an engineer that just kind of understands how to write Python code and how to do some of this stuff, like it wasn't hard. Like it took me like three days in my garage. And uh, I actually got like a cool video of me just sitting up on the, the, the peak of the roof of my garage with this thing, just tracking satellites across and like listening to data and um, obviously not sending anything I was sending, but that's for, I'm a ham radio operator. So it was legal uh, in order to like send, you know, up to a ham radio satellite and talk to other people through it. But for a very low cost, you can create your own ground station and communicate with satellites. That's awesome. 
That is awesome. Yeah. You've lived a few lives. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I think I'm on my eighth of, I get nine, I think. Yeah. I'm like, on the eighth, I got to be careful yeah. from here on out. Do smart choices for the next uh, next life or two. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> promising anything. Yeah. So, of course, being a Fleet Defender podcast, we're going to bring it back to Fleet Defender real quick, because I know that we've got some really cool news going on with some work in space, actually, that's coming up. We do. Yeah. So we've been uh, engaged with the Space Force for a couple of years now, um, just talking about um, cybersecurity of space platforms and spacecraft in general and some of the strategies that you could use to help increase that cybersecurity, you know, like that defense and depth picture of them. Um, and it looks like we are going to be moving forward with integrating Fleet Defender on um, 15 low Earth orbit satellites this year and uh, working with Space Force to to prove out our technology in space. I am excited to see what happens when uh, we're, our units are up in space. I'm very excited. We need to get a, you know, like mission patches that NASA makes yeah. for oh, each mission. Oh, we got to get some mission patches <laughs> yeah, made for us. That would be sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining today. Uh, if you would like to learn more about Fleet Defender and how it can defend your satellite or, you know, any platform, including, you know, long haul logistics trailers, passenger vehicles, boats, trains, planes, gantry cranes, uh, reach out to us at fleetdefender.com. And thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was fun. 